Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Living Well. Today, I I just have to just want to reflect. I did not even realize that I had been doing podcasts now for almost five years. In fact, next month will be my fifth year. And I've been on and off at times for certain situations, but the guest today she is here, and I am just so delighted. I know you hear me say this about everyone being so special, but this person is definitely special to me. Uh, we have a very intimate connection, if I should say. Uh, the first episode that she did with me was actually just the second episode of the entire podcast Uh, series. And if you'd like to hear her, I have a link in today's description. It's entitled Self-Care, An Important Link to De-Stressing. And it's just so funny. We were chatting right before uh, we officially went on air, and I was so hyped about something (laughs) that I think I need to listen to that again myself. But Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jalita Bailey Vasco. When she was here five years ago, she was just Jalita Bailey. Her namesake is mine. She happens to be my one and only birth daughter. And I'm just going to read the episode uh, information for those who may not have seen it. Julita is a senior program manager at Jobs for the Future. She is responsible for strategic communication, coaching, and implementation for the learning unit at large, and manages content and operations development for JFF's semiannual annual post-secondary state network meetings. Julita also works with JFF Labs, project managing employer-led initiatives that are focused on corporate social responsibility and impact. Before joining JFF, Julita worked at Bunker Hill Community College in Boston, where she scaled, managed, and provided training for a learning community peer mentor program framed in culturally inclusive pedagogy. She also co-chaired BHCC's Professional Development Committee and served on several other committees. She has also worked as a part-time academic advisor at Roxbury K-12 
Community College in Boston, and she spent four years at Eastern Nazarene College in Quincy, Massachusetts. There, she wore a variety of hats within student affairs, contributing to initiatives that were related to residential life, multicultural affairs, new student orientation, the first year experience, and much more. In fact, Julita was at Quincy, at the Quincy Eastern Nazarene College when she came on five years ago. Welcome, Julita Bailey. It's a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure and a great opportunity to be with you, Mom. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't often get someone to call me Mom, so uh, <laughs> that's always a delightful title. I think that second to wife, that's my best title. And, and of course, <laughs> I share that now alongside Nana <laughs> with your niece and soon-to-be new sibling. Okay, so we're continuing our conversation entitled Workplace Communication. Today is part two. Next week or uh, two weeks from now, we'll finish up the series uh, with the third part. But today's segment is looking at women and their impact on education and economic advancement. Uh, To start us off, uh, please tell the audience what JFF or Jobs for the Future in just a short synopsis. Tell us what that's about. And I did fail to mention to the audience that it too is uh, located, well, it's located around the country, but um, am I correct that the headquarters is in, um, in Boston? Yes, that's correct. And then we also have an office in Washington, D.C., and then one in California. Okay, so Take it away. Let us let let them know. Give them a synopsis of what JSF is all about. This big think tank. <laughs> okay, JSF works um, at the intersection of the post-secondary world, as well as workforce development and helping reform and refine policies, um, as well as scale programs that are. Um, geared toward making education more accessible to um, populations that um, haven't been kind of put at the forefront of our country's um, priority. So we also work with um, workforce development in terms of apprenticeships or helping those who are in low-skill jobs kind of revamp their program so that if folks do enter a low-skill work environment, they when they leave, they actually have some kind of, um, they don't, they have more of a, um, they don't leave with the same thing that they came with. So basically they have like another credential that they can apply to their field or another field. So we want to make sure that they're prepared to um, be successful and continue growing um, in the field that they choose as well as growing in their finances so that they can for, support themselves as well as their families. So we serve time. as kind of like advisors, I would say, to a lot of these programs. We also do on the groundwork in terms of implementation. Um, so that's like high level what we do. Okay. 
that sounds great, at least um, from my perspective. When you interface with the colleges and uh, I'm assuming with the private and possibly the public sectors or whatever sectors that you you interface with, uh, do you do you find uh, receptivity? Do you find resistance? Uh, describe some of that to us. Sure. So I would say that it's both and. Um, as being an on-the-ground student affairs professional, I would say that, unfortunately, within the college realm, sometimes um, it takes a really long time to get new ideas um, in place with administration within higher education or amongst faculty. So oftentimes, um, these systems within higher ed or, or the post-secondary field in general, they're, in my view, about 10 years behind where we actually are. And so you have to really work on buy-in and what's the value add, what are metrics that um, will help improve or make um, what's being offered even more relevant. And so I think as long as you have key champions that you're working with, I think that's key in terms of um, helping advance our agenda within JFF. Um, I can give an example that we, one of the companies we work with is Titans, as in the chicken company <laughs> on the workforce okay. development side. And so we work with some of the workers who, um, like I was saying, like the low skill jobs. So we have folks within Titans who even like they pluck chickens um, after the chickens are dead. So it's like, what can we do to make sure once they're ready to move on from that position, to make sure that they have a new skill so that they don't have to go looking for another job where all not all they're able to do, but they're not able to bring um, more expertise to the table. So we want to make sure that their skill sets are relevant as our future um, continues to advance. So in that kind of situation, um, the company that we work with, they have been very receptive to our um, advisement, and then there are others that are there that are not. They're a little more focused on metrics and numbers versus making um, an impact and being able to build a program that will be successful and um, really serve the communities that we are trying to reach. Wow, you know, I had I didn't realize that you had that type of a depth and breadth. I'm glad I have you on the show because I'm learning um, a new facet of your of your responsibility. I would think first of all, I'd like to applaud. You know, maybe we shouldn't be mentioning them by name, but we we've already done it. So I'd like to give Tyson a huge shout out and applause for being so receptive and having the vision to um, join forces with JFF to make advances both for their employees as individuals and for the communities that they, that they work in. I think that that is just overwhelmingly fantastic. And so yeah, no, I, thank, I, you. thank you, Jalita. And, um, and, and please thank JFF um, <laughs> on my behalf and on my listeners' behalf because 
That's huge. That is absolutely huge. I was thinking, well, I there's no need to go into what I was thinking. I had a whole different, not that what I'm thinking wasn't, isn't part of what you're doing, but I had more of a limited view, uh, mm. more, more um, college and JSF working hand in hand to prepare the students to go forward as opposed to the all-encompassing, some of that, but also, like you said, post-secondary. So that is marvelous. I just think it's absolutely, astoundingly marvelous. So I, I, I feel even better about JFS. <laughs> I had a, I'd given them the thumbs up anyway, but now they even have more of my regard. Okay, so now one of the things I want to move on real quick because our time will go before we even know. We're almost at the halfway mark now. By the way, uh, <laughs> listeners, I didn't tell you on the front side, and I hope this doesn't um, uh, uh, detract from anything you all have planned today, but I am going to go 30 minutes today. Okay, so one of the things that you are known for by colleagues and by some of your past work experiences is the fact that you do a good job at facilitating difficult conversations. I think that Mm. that is quite a, um, not only quite an excellent uh, trait, but quite um, noteworthy uh, acknowledgement that you would be known for such. So let's talk about that. When Can you give us a situation, I like the fact that you shared the last one, a situation involving a time or two when you had to deal with uh, a difficult conversation, you know, be a facilitator for that or whatever it was that you did to, to, to help that along. Can you, can you share? Sure. Absolutely. I think one of the key times that I facilitated a difficult conversation was um, back when our president of the United States um, won the election. So it was the morning of um, when everyone found out who had won and um, the, the work community that I was in um, had kind of a lot of feelings about it in terms of the feeling of disappointment for a variety of reasons that I won't go into. Um, yes. It was funny because <laughs> the coworker that I was co-facilitating the conversation with when we were asked to um, co-facilitate a conversation around um, like how to have an inclusive environment for students. Um, We were not aware that that was going to be the day where we would find out who our um, leader of the country would be. So it was interesting because we went in to the conversation with a lot of people just stunned because they're like, we thought a woman was going to be our next president. And then, like I was saying, all these other emotions about who got into office. Um, And so it's like, how do we have a meaningful conversation about having an inclusive campus where we are welcoming for everyone, wherever they're coming from, while we just found out 
the news about who's going to be the new leader of the United States. So that was um, difficult in that what we were planning to talk about kind of got deterred, but it was still a difficult conversation um, because we had to take it into consideration um, just the lay of the room. Um, and then we also had to think of, you know, what do our, how can we make this a safe space for our doctorate students? How can we um, make sure that we as administration are continuing to um, keep one another accountable in terms of constantly being in a state of learning of how to make sure that students feel like this is their home away from home. Um, the school, one of the schools that I worked at served a very large population of international students. So I think that was a huge part of us wanting to make sure students felt supportive, supported in order to um, complete their studies, and not just complete them, but complete them well. Oftentimes within schools, a lot of students don't have the benefits of having a support system where they don't have to work, or they don't have to worry about how am I going to make sure I'm there for my children or a sick family member. So not only are they trying to advance themselves, but they have all of these out-of-sight responsibilities. So our perspective yes. was also, how can we help support them in these ways? So anyways, from having like a daycare on campus to a professor um, being understanding of um, a student having to bring their kid to class at certain times. So like there's, or there are a variety of ways so the difficult conversation more so um, involved, okay, with this new president in terms of how will this make us be a more inclusive campus? What can we do with what's happening in the political world to continue to challenge ourselves in this way? So I often go about difficult conversations through asking a lot of questions, through listening, through providing for times of silence, for personal reflection, um, through having a multiple of venues for people to express themselves. So I often do this through writing, through art, like if you want to draw something or sketch it, whatever is going to help you collect your thoughts and be able to voice your um, mindset that is hopefully a growth mindset. Um, as a value add to this conversation, um, let's make sure we support everyone in the room to do that. So hopefully that answered your question. I can, if that wasn't a good example, I can think of another one. But um, I would say no, that, that day. That was good. That was good. Okay. I, um, I don't know if you could speak to maybe a one-on-one -on -one difficult um, interchange. Uh, would you have anything to add like, if it was a one-on-one -on -one situation? Um, I think the thing that I would add is always speaking the point of view of the person that I'm talking to in the difficult conversation um, and to just listen with empathy, to not cut people off, to um, also be strong in terms of 
whatever it is that I believe. Yes, my beliefs can shift based upon the conversation, um, but being able to bring a confidence and, okay, like I am here to understand you, but I also want you to, us to be able to come to a mutual understanding about whatever the situation is. Um, so, yes, that would be something else I would add. That's excellent. Uh, that's the basis, actually, of communication. Uh, you have a message, you have a sender, you have a receiver. Sometimes there's interference. There's always some kind of noise, and I'm just going to call it interference. We have to back up sometimes, uh, push away, stand up, whatever is required, so that, as you say, we can engage and uh, attribute some empathy and vision for what the other person is saying or trying to say and not get so consumed by what we're saying and trying to make our point but hearing, actually hearing so that we can respond uh, in kind. So thank you for that. Now I want to look at you. Um, I had planned to have a uh, quick break, but we have about 10 minutes and we're going to have to be out of here. So uh, we're going to forego that break. And I'd like to look at you specifically in terms of we're talking about communication in the workplace as it affects women in particular. So do you feel that over your career thus far that you have been supported? Um, I'm going to ask a twofold question, uh, and you can answer it in any way you choose, obviously. But do you, first and foremost, do you feel that you as a, an employee, one, a female employee, two, um, and then we have the overriding uh, profile for you, not only are you a female, but you started your career at a young age, and you're still not old, so age comes into play, race comes into play, culture may come into play, your, poli your politics may come into play. So I want you to just think about that in, 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 in the context of all of those attributes or some of them, whichever ones you want to dig out. And um, if you have, if you have uh, we want to hear about that, and if you have not, we want to hear about that and maybe even how you have handled it. So the floor is yours. Thank you. These are some deep questions. <laughs> um, well, you know you have a deep mom. <laughs> you um, have all people to know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking so, them. I will I start with the first question. Sorry, were you going to say something? I was going to say, did you want me to, to um, chop it up some, but you seem like you're ready to tackle it, so go ahead. Okay, yes. No, I was writing them down while you are talking. So the first question was, have I felt supported as a female in the workplace? That is a great question. I would say that at the beginning of my career, I felt supported, specifically under the branch of a female under the branch of the other um, factors that you mentioned. 
um, which kind of talks about or which kind of um, correlates to intersectionality, I would say, in a sense. And so my first supervisor out of college, um, Jamie, Dr. Jamika Love, she really helped me feel support within my role because she is also a woman of color, started her career out young, and knew a lot of the challenges that I would run into. Obviously, my experience would be more unique to her um, because we're two different people. But in terms of overall, she would know, she knew that there would be challenges. So her goal was to support me through them. So if I had challenges, she wanted me to come to her so that as my supervisor, she could help me problem solve, address them, and advocate for me. Excellent. As I, yeah, no, I really appreciated her and still do. Um, as I advanced in my career, I think I have not felt as supported. And it's interesting because Jamaica um, told me, because um, she mentors me off and on, and so she told me in one, one of the times we connected that whenever you go into a new job, ask your um, your potential supervisor, how will you support me as a woman of color in this workplace? And I've always been fearful to ask this because I'm like, hmm, they may not want to hire me if I come at them that direct, that directly. But That's I a think great she question. has a, yeah, no, it is. I think she has a point because after I had challenges working with not working with her, but working in the place that I was working when I worked for her. But as I moved on, the challenges continued to grow. However, there was a lack of support. And so, um, you know, it's like, who do I go to? Who do I connect with? Is this normal? Um, how come I see, like, other folks don't deal with these situ kinds of situations? while those of us of color are. So there are a lot of factors, I think, at play. And um, I, I, know, I don't know if that's like too vague. Did you want to ask any specific, more specific questions about those? No, that, 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 no, no, I just want your honest answer. And that's a, 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 very, good, a very good answer. Um, in spite of the discrimination, we don't want to harp on this segment on the, the discrimination, but despite all of that, what would you say has been your greatest learning experience? And I would like us to end on what you feel effective or successful communication in the workplace would look like or should look like. Mm -hmm. So I think one of my greatest learning to be something that you taught me, something that Dale, my husband, constantly tells me to do, um, document everything. Keep a paper trail. Um, I think that is pretty critical. Also to be careful who you trust. And in some cases, Keep your enemies close. 
Um, so I know that those are a lot of learnings, but I would say that those that has been those learnings have been important for me. Um, and then, what was your second question? I can't remember. I'm sorry. What does um, what does successful communication in the workplace, in particular, look like um, from your perspective? Okay. Or what should it? Look I would like? say managing up has been critical um, to my success in the workplace. So telling supervisors what I need, telling them what I don't appreciate, telling them what I do appreciate, telling them where the ball was missed, not being okay when um, I think I told you this before, not being okay and articulating this to them when they tell me that, um, you know, I have a resting bee face or things of that nature. So being able to speak up for myself, being able to know who I am, know my value, and know that my identity does not lie within people liking me or not. Um, I would also say something that has been successful for me has been ensuring that um, I do support others and that I find spaces where others can support me as well. Um, I think that's critical um, in terms of being able to feel as though, okay, because I have the support system, I have energy to now go in and effectively communicate, whatever that might be. Um, I know what battles I need to pick. I know when I should just let it go. Because then if you have a community behind you that kind of helps shed light um, as you're walking through the journey with them on what's worth it and what's not. Um, so okay. those things I think would be key for me. Okay, and we're going to leave it there. And, folks, I hope that some of what uh, Jalita has been able to take away for herself can be applicable to you wherever you are on your career path, particularly as it regards communication. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.